To those of you listening to us on the internet and to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be, and to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God upon which we base our message this fifth Sunday in Lent is the gospel for today. You heard it read before. We recall just these words. Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be most important among you will be a slave for everyone. In the name of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, lives again, rules over all things, my beloved. This morning we want to talk about greatness how to get truly great in God's kingdom. I think you recognize in most business organizations, institutions, greatness is usually measured by high personal achievement. You know, you sort of work your way up the ladder. The more awards, bonuses, titles you have, the higher you are, the greater you are. In God's kingdom, he lets us know this morning that the desire to be on top actually hinders, it doesn't help. In Christ's kingdom, it's service that elevates. Jesus encourages us this morning, rather than seeking to have your own needs met, look for ways that you can minister to the needs of others. So what is the setting for all of these ideas? Well, the setting is, Two of Jesus' disciples who came to him and they wanted to know if they could really have positions of the greatest. And so we focus on those 11 verses of Scripture and we see that their request for greatness was actually denied. Jesus denied what they wanted and instead he gave them what they needed. Now you have to remember that the words before us this morning take place almost before Jesus is getting ready to enter the gates of Jerusalem and after Jesus' transfiguration where he had taken his disciples to that high mountain and uh, unveiled his divinity, lifted up, you might say, his uh, shirt, his humanity and let his divinity shine through so that they could recognize Jesus really was who he said he was. This was no ordinary man. And Jesus was hoping that that would uh, sustain them uh, during the hours of his suffering. Now as we enter these, uh, this little section of scripture here, very soon Jesus was going to ask his disciples to go ahead in Jerusalem and to secure a donkey on which he would ride through the city gates to those loud hosannas. But uh, shortly before Jesus entered, he spoke these words to his disciples. This comes just before the words before us this morning. We're going to Jerusalem, Jesus told his disciples. There the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to foreigners. They will make fun of him, spit on him, whip him, and kill him. But after three days, he will come back to life. I mean, what solemn words. 
And how more clearly could Jesus have defined what he was going to be doing in Jerusalem? But apparently, the words went right in the disciples' one ear and right out the other. Because then we hear James and John, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What do we want me to do for you? He asked them. They said to him, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. I mean, do you see what audacity and what selfishness Jesus had just told them about his suffering and his death? And it's almost like they flip Jesus off and say, oh, yeah, no, that's really fine. But, uh, you know, when you come into your glory, you set up your throne. Uh, James, we want him to be the, the vice president, and maybe I can be the first vice president. I mean, you see what patience Jesus had to have with his disciples here he talks about his humility and his suffering. And the men, his followers, talk selfishly about power and greatness, and he still treats them with kindness. I know that Jesus recognized, because he was all-knowing, that his disciples were still of the misunderstanding, that uh, they were thinking of Jesus' kingdom uh, as an earthly empire. But they would recognize, because it would only be a few hours from now, that the Lord would not enter the city gates of Jerusalem riding on a war steed, but rather on the foal of a donkey. He would not end up sitting on a golden throne, rather he would end up hanging on a wooden cross. And great officers and ministers of state would not accompany him on his right and left hand, rather he would hang between Two convicts, one on the right, one on the left, who would be cursing him, one of them, and the other one blessing him. Jesus recognized that his disciples made their requests out of a misunderstanding. And so Jesus answered their request by saying, Do you realize what you're asking? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive? We can, they said. I think that the disciples interpreted Jesus' question, can you guys really be really brave for me as I go into my kingdom? You know, can you swing a sword, defend me? You know, they, immediately they hopped out. We can. But the cup that Jesus was referring to was the cup of his death. And the baptism that Jesus was referring to was being baptized by dripping blood all over his face, the spit of drunken Roman soldiers, and gall shoved into his mouth. Could the disciples follow that kind of suffering? Well, we know that uh, James and John didn't follow exactly in Jesus' footsteps by being crucified on a cross. That's why Jesus told them, you will drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive. You see, neither disciple was going to carry a sword for their Savior, but they would carry his word out into the world, and they would suffer for it. They would not receive earthly positions of power sitting next to a golden throne because no earthly golden throne like that would ever exist. You see, what they wanted was denied, but what they needed was granted, and that's why if you take a look in Holy Scripture, James died by having his head cut off by King Herod, and John was exiled to the island of Patmos. 
Oh, would we like to criticize these disciples for being so selfish and grandiose in Jesus' solemn hour? And yet you have to admit that many times our requests, our prayers are just as foolish and just as vain. I mean, did you ever take a look, really, a really close look since your, since your confirmation class about in the catechism and what it says about the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation. You know, there's seven requests there. Six are for spiritual needs and only one for physical. Give us today our daily bread. Don't we often reverse it? Time and time again, we actually should be praying, Lord, please bring your gracious gospel message to those who don't know you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me so I don't have to go to hell. But instead, we always end up praying for the big two. The most important needs of our life, our health and our wealth. And we saturate our prayers with them. That God would keep our bodies functioning just a little longer and that he would keep all of our organs in good operating condition and that he would help us so that all the bills will be paid and the cash flow real good. As if those two big things are answered, then we can relax and rest with a whole lot less anxiety. What great patience our Lord exercises with our prayers. Reversing what Jesus said, I mean, how often isn't it time that in our sinfulness we ask Jesus for stones, but our Heavenly Father gives us bread instead? We usually ask for snakes, but Jesus gives us fish. We ask for all sorts of things that can be hurtful for us, but our Heavenly Father still knows our needs and well supplies them. Now, I still remember when we raised our little kids, and I can even see it with our grandchildren today, but I still remember those little incidents when uh, we would be doing some work, my wife would be sewing on the kitchen table, and there was a sharp scissors lying there, and one of our kids wanted to grab it and play with it. And we said, no. And then after, you know, a little bit of a fight, finally the kids uh, screaming and shouting and everything else. We pray for things that we want, but possibly it's for things that would hurt our relationship with our Savior, and so he gives us exactly what we need instead. He didn't give James and John what they wanted. He gave them what they needed. They thought that if they had a position of greatness and authority sitting next to Jesus, that's what they needed. Rather, he gave them directions for what they truly needed and how they would truly become great. And what he tells them is, unlike earthly greatness, which is obtained by starting at the bottom and working your way up, everything is reversed in God's kingdom. You instead work your way to the bottom. And it's kind of interesting, too. After uh, the other ten disciples heard what that little conversation was all about, they began to bristle. And we could almost see them elbowing their way up to Jesus, saying, wait a second, what did these guys ask for? Maybe there's something for us, too. So Jesus breaks up the whole power struggle, called the apostles and said, you know the acknowledged rulers of nations have absolute power over people and their officials have absolute authority over people, but that's not the way it's going to be among you. 
Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Who wants to become the most important will be a slave for everyone. And isn't it true how in world politics today, if you're a king or you're a prince or you're a president, you can exercise great authority. And sometimes those rulers even become domineering and flaunt their power. But in the eyes of the world, they possess power and prestige and authority. And Jesus says in his kingdom, it's just the reverse. You know, when it comes to be greatest in God's kingdom, it's sort of like an upside-down pyramid. Now, you can picture the Egyptian pyramids in your mind, I know, and how as you ascend the pyramids, the stones decrease in number until finally at the very apex, the very top, there's really only one stone. Earthly rulers are like that. They're like the one stone on the top with thousands of ten thousands of stones beneath it. In God's kingdom, it's an upside-down pyramid. The greatest is the one at the bottom who holds up all the rest. Jesus is telling us that greatness is in his kingdom comes through service, serving one another by bearing one another's burdens. I mean, did you ever imagine if you did turn that pyramid upside down, if you could do that, that stone at the bottom, the one would really have to be pretty strong to hold up the other ones, wouldn't it? Oh, maybe God is saying you get strengthened through service in his kingdom. The lower you go, the greater you are. There are levels of service, you know. Whoever is great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be important must be a slave for everyone. Now, when Jesus is talking about service in his kingdom, he's not talking about service that makes you feel really good, I did something nice for somebody else, but service that might be downright painful. The lower you go, the greater you are. How about this ascending order of service with an upside-down pyramid? Serving at a Lenten supper. Serving as a vacation Bible school teacher. Serving on First Friday. Serving on the Mercy Ministry Committee. Visiting the sick in the hospital. Making a mission trip to a foreign country to build houses. Making a mission trip to a foreign country to clean up debris from a disaster. Worshiping in an underground church because if you don't, you'll probably end up dead. Smuggling Bibles to Christians in foreign countries who don't have them, and if you're caught, you will die. Being burned alive for your faith. Being beheaded for your faith. My goodness, being greatest in God's kingdom, who would yearn for service like that? I guess Jesus is asking us, where are you located right now in the upside-down pyramid? And where would you like to be located in the upside-down pyramid? You know, the greatest example and motivation for service is the example of our Savior. In the same way the Son of Man, he didn't come so that, he, that others could serve him. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. When the Son of God saw mankind in trouble... 
suffering under the guilt of their sins. He didn't think about himself. He wasn't selfish. He was selfless. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And wasn't that the way Jesus' entire ministry? I mean, already at the age of 12, he doesn't wait for any people to come to him. He goes to the temples and starts uh, uh, educating the doctors and the scholars about what God's Word is really about. He starts his ministry. He changes water into wine at the wedding of Cana so a poor couple doesn't get embarrassed by the fact that they ran out of supplies. Jesus, even before he goes through the gates of Jerusalem, he stops and talks to blind Bartimaeus who wants his sight back. And he gives it to him. And then, of course, there's the washing of, Je of the disciples' feet on Monday, Thursday. And it reminds me of what we talked about in Bible class last week. John Radowin was telling uh, us, and I, I think uh, Michelle Ocasio, too, that they went to a retreat. And unbeknown to them, one of the exercises was, and it was sprung upon them, one of the leaders brought out a basin of water. He says, now we're all going to wash each other's feet. And they started doing that. And he says, about halfway down the line, that water was so foul and smelly and stinky. And finally, you recognize what a job that really was. It was a job at, back in Jesus' day for slaves. That's his service to us. And of course, it didn't stop there. It went all the way to the cross of Calvary to free us from the guilt of punishment of hell. I mean, did you ever think about it? What a Savior we have. He didn't have to do it for us. He possessed all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He didn't have to leave heaven. He could have kept his position of greatness, his throne on high, and let all of us go to eternal destruction. But he was moved instead by love for his enemies, his love for people who broke his commandments every day, fouled up his earth, and for those people, he emptied heaven. Then he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. Then he emptied the tomb so that we could be filled with the knowledge of the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ in the way to eternal life in heaven. And he did that so all people could go free. And he even gave us that freedom freely by his grace. So next time, maybe when you're contemplating contemplating greatness, you might want to think about Jesus. On that upside-down pyramid, you know, Jesus went all the way to the bottom. And he was crushed for your iniquities. He did that all so that we could go free. And he tells us, therefore, that service in his kingdom is how you get really great. So where are you right now? And where do you want to be on that upside-down pyramid? Work in God's kingdom, bearing one another's burdens. In doing so, in the eyes of the rest of the world, you might look like the least. But through service done out of love for your Lord, you will end up being the greatest. And God granted for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand.
Peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We take this time together, our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards. <laughs> 